This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. It's hard to believe, but this is it. Today is the last edition of On Target here on VOCM. And how long has it been, Dave? Is it four or five years? Well, this is the last edition of On Target. But fear not, I'll be moving to a new time slot starting on Monday at 4 p.m. with a brand new show called News Talk. We'll keep you up to date on important issues and entertain you and even take take your calls And uh, we'll even uh, have many of the long-form type interviews you've come to expect here. So while this is a bit of a bittersweet time, I have to say I'm a little bit sad, uh, I am looking forward to the new challenges ahead starting on Monday. I'll tell you more about that over the course of the show. But in the meantime, tech and tech talk have dominated discussion in recent days, including the concerns raised about this TikTok app. Well, my guest off the top of the show today is Minister of Digital Government and Service NL, Sarah Studley. As you know, her department is very broad and is responsible for a number of important aspects of our daily lives. And she joins me now. Uh, Minister Sarah Studley, well, um, you, uh, the department issued a release not too long ago um, advising that insurers and brokers be encouraged to discontinue best terms pricing to help uh, consumer protection. Uh, what are the concerns there? Sure. So best terms pricing uh, in, I guess, a commercial insurance world would be when like a broker takes a different pieces of the risk and spreads it out amongst different insurers, uh, where each one would, would essentially quote on a different part of the risk. Um, and in the best terms model, all coverages are then priced based on the highest rate quoted by any insurance company. So it's really, I guess, really bad for consumers and for someone like a condo board when they're uh, getting insurance coverage because it would be the most expensive because it's based on the highest rate quoted by any of the insurance companies. So uh, on the the good side is that this is kind of on the way out. Uh, you know, we've spoken with all the insurance regulators across the country, and everyone is really aligned that, you know, this is not appropriate practice. Uh, we issued a bulletin uh, a few weeks ago saying that, you know, this is not acceptable practice in Newfoundland and Labrador. We called on everyone to discontinue this practice. Uh, but also on the insurance side, they tell us that this is not something that uh, they are planning on doing. So, you know, I would encourage anyone, you know, if you get a, a contract or a quote from your broker or your insurance company and it talks about best terms pricing, uh, they shouldn't really be doing that. And our expectation and what they tell us is that they're going to discontinue that. Um, and so if we find that they don't abide that, we'll certainly look to take stronger action. Um, but at the moment, you know, we've issued a bulletin saying, you know, this is not appropriate. Uh, don't issue contracts on these kind of best terms, pricing terms. Um, and so we're really, really trying to keep consumers in mind here. So you say it's on the way out, uh, but is it still being used in some jurisdictions? Uh, so we're told by, you know, the Insurance Bureau of Canada, for example, that this is not something that's being used or, or written right now in, with insurance policies. Um, that's not to say they have, I'm not sure that they have, you know, can guarantee that 100% across, you know, all insurers. Um, so, 
you know, we issued a bulletin calling on all insurers and brokers to discontinue this practice, specifically as of July 31st, uh, 2023. Um, and so if we find that insurers are still offering best terms policies uh, and quoting them for residents and companies in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, then we're certainly prepared to take, I guess, stronger legal action. So right now it is uh, allowed. Um, within our insurance legislation, uh, but we would certainly look to change that if it continues, and if it doesn't stop as, as we've asked to stop. Now, everyone is talking about TikTok, the U.S., the EU, now the federal government all uh, discontinuing or taking TikTok off of government-issued uh, devices. Uh, what's the provincial government stand? Uh, so thank you, Linda. That's an excellent question. So, um, you know, in terms of our OCIO and, and the government technology, we are always looking at, you know, the risk to, you know, government data and personal data. And so especially with the Canadian government announcement this week, uh, you know, obviously our teams have really dove in and our teams were on calls with uh, their counterparts across the country as well as the, the federal chief information officer. Um, so, Linda, I can tell you that as of uh, Thursday, we will not be allowing TikTok on any government uh, cell phones or mobile devices. So it will automatically be removed. And um, so based on, you know, what we've learned in our discussions with the federal government, uh, based on what we know about TikTok and, you know, how it uses data on mobile devices, uh, it's not something that we're prepared to um you know, we don't think it's, it's appropriate. Uh, so uh, all government devices will not be able to support TikTok. It won't be available uh, and people won't be able to download it. If they have it on their phone already, it will disappear. And you're able to take care of that? Uh, you know, the provincial government is able to take care of that itself? Or do you have to um, ask that each employee make sure it's gone? So on government-managed, Newfoundland Labrador government-managed mobile devices, we are able to do that. So if someone wants to delete it, they certainly can, but it won't be on their, their government-issued phone anymore. And uh, we can kind of change the settings so that they can't download it. Um, you know, in looking at, I guess, what TikTok has access to on phones, um, and I guess really TikTok we've seen, and, uh, you know, anyone can see in a range of media stories, um, that TikTok has a lot more permissions. It uses more permissions on your phone than it really needs, um, aside from some kind of allegations and things that you can read about online about how TikTok has used this data, maybe maliciously. Um, and I do think, Linda, it's important for everyone to understand that all the apps you have on your personal phone collect information and store that and use it for a range of purposes. You know, I think we all know that we have Facebook on our phone. You know, Facebook uses the data about us to show us ads. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of ads on, on different social media uh, apps, for example. Um, and so TikTok, you know, they would be using our information um, to ads, uh, to show ads, but also for maybe other nefarious purposes, which uh, we think can't fully control. And uh, when you look at the amount of information that, say, TikTok would use versus Facebook or Instagram, um, I guess as a government, and, you know, we've heard from the federal government now that uh, they have TikTok uses a disproportionately uh, higher amount of personal information um, than it needs. And so um, we're now banning it from government phones. And, you know, it is a significantly more risk than, you know, other, other apps like Facebook and Twitter. So I have all, I've personally de uh, deleted TikTok from both my government phone and my personal phone. Um, and I would recommend, I think it's a good opportunity for everyone to sit back and think, okay, well, do I use these apps? If maybe you have apps on your phone that you don't use anymore, you might want to consider deleting and just have a second thought about, you know, are you, 
you know, are you comfortable with all the information, let's say, that Facebook might have about you? Um, and certainly in light of this new, uh, these new things about TikTok, you know, is, are you comfortable? I think it's important for everyone to think about, you know, are you comfortable with TikTok having that information and what they may or may not be using that information for? Are there any concerns about what data it might already have collected? Uh, well, you know, all of these kind of apps have access often to your, you know, photos, your contacts. Um, TikTok in particular has access to your very precise GPS data. Um, you know, they know your kind of precise location. Um, we know that they can see, you know, what type of device you have. They can see what types of audio devices are connected to your phone. Uh, they can look at all the, you know, a few different settings that you have on your phone. They can even, for example, TikTok, um, I've read in some media reports, TikTok can scan external hard drives connect, connected to networks that your phone might be connected to. Um, so, you know, within government, we have a lot of different approaches to keep everything locked down. So um, I don't think anyone's, you know, data has been at risk or anything. This is just kind of a proactive effort that we're taking. And I thank the government of Canada for taking the lead on this. Uh, but we are certainly banning a TikTok on all government uh, phones. And finally, um, the provincial government announced its intention to introduce legislation to prevent sex offenders from changing their names. Where are we with that process? Uh, so that's an excellent question. So, I, you know, I, Linda, um, a few months ago now, uh, I can't remember exactly when, uh, you know, we did have the instance with uh, an individual who, were, who was contacted by, the, by law enforcement that a, a former partner of theirs had changed their name. Um, and I, I guess it's important to recognize that there's, there's no public safety risk here. We know that sex offenders can't evade the law by changing their name. I think that's very important that everyone understands. The law enforcement always know um, if you changed your name. Uh, and in this, so th in this case, uh, that received you know a lot of media attention. The individual did change their name. That that change was publicly available uh, in the Gazette. Um, and so we are looking at ways to make it more make it easier for people to see who's changed their name, what did they change it from and to. It's already public information, but it's not really kind of searchable at the moment. So we're looking at changing that. Um, and so obviously there's an internal government process to make any law changes. So, you know, I can't kind of reveal where any change might be in that process. Um, but, you know, it certainly is important to me in particular that we help the victims uh, not get re-traumatized. And I think there's also an amount of public safety that you know, people need confidence in our systems. They need confidence that um, you know we are going to keep them safe. And um, you know, I think this is—it's something that we're certainly looking at very seriously. Minister Sarah Studley, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Have a good day. When we come back after the break, we're going to hear what happened in a news conference this morning. VOCM's Richard Duggan was there. The RNC called a news conference into a major fraud case and an arrest that was made there. We'll take you to RNC headquarters coming up right after this. This is the last edition of VOCM On Target. We'll be right back. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. 
And we're back on this edition of uh, the last edition, for that matter, of VOCM on Target. Uh, kind of a bittersweet day, but lots of information to share with you today. There, not the least of which was the announcement made just moments ago about an arrest made in connection with this phone fraud that we've been hearing so much about. In fact, we heard from a woman earlier in the week who received a call. She says, very convincing from a gentleman saying he was my oldest grandson and he was in a bad accident. And I said, how are you doing, Joe? Now, I don't have a grandson named Joe. He says, I'm not doing too bad, Grandma, but I had a bad accident and they've got me in jail now because I looked down at my GPS when I had the accident. And the police have my phone so no one can call me. And I'm in serious trouble now with the police. Meanwhile, this gentleman called us, told us about a similar type of situation that he encountered and subsequently learned from other um, relatives that they had encountered the same kind of a call. And he has some suspicions about that. They're reading your bits. We had a death in the family funerals last week. So all the grandchildren are named in it. Everybody's named in it, of course. So they're just tracking down home telephone numbers, not cell phones, and calling on the home phones. And so the RNC last evening made an arrest, a 23-year-old Ontario man, Charles Gillen. Uh, They arrested him at St. John's International Airport, and they believe he was trying to leave the province. Uh, They've charged him in connection with a long list of charges, including fraud over $5,000, extortion, and conspiracy to commit an offense. Uh, He's scheduled to appear in court today, if he hasn't already, and uh, they expect that uh, more charges could be pending. So here's what RNC Constable James Cadigan had to say to reporters just moments ago when he announced the arrest. All right, so welcome to the RNC. I'm here today to talk about a fraud investigation uh, that occurred this past week. So in the past week, from February 28th to March 2nd, uh, the RNC received multiple reports relating to a scam, which was intended to defraud senior citizens in our community. In all these incidents, the senior citizen would receive a call from an individual pretending to be a family member who had been arrested and placed in jail. The portion of the call at that point was short in duration, and it was followed by a second individual that would speak to the senior advising that they are a police officer or lawyer or some uh, person involved in the legal system. The senior was then informed that they need to pay money in order to uh, obtain bail for their family member to be released from jail. A phone number was provided to the senior uh, who were told to call back once money was withdrawn from their bank. And uh, they were informed at that point that an individual would attend uh, their home to pick up that money. In some of the cases reported to the RNC, there were thousands in, in loss. The RNC's Economic Crime Unit launched an investigation into these events, engaging significant resources of the Criminal Investigation Division. As a result of that investigation, yesterday evening at uh, 6 p.m., members of the RNC's Criminal Investigation Division and Operational Patrol Services located and arrested a 23-year-old man from, uh, believed to be from Ontario. Uh, The male uh, named Charles Gillen was charged in connection to the fraud scheme and placed under arrest at St. John's International Airport. The charges pending at this time are fraud over $5,000, extortion, and conspiracy to commit an offense.
The investigation is ongoing, and based on information gathered by the officers at this time, the RNC's Economic Crime Unit do believe that the accused attempted to fraudulently obtain money from other members of the community. Therefore, the RNC does request that anyone with information to assist this investigation come forward and provide a report. Any individuals who are experiencing stress or any crisis as a result of this information or an experience they have had, please contact the Mental Health Crisis Line through 811. The Royal New Flag Constabulary's Economic Crime Unit in partnership with the Canadian Any Fraud Center would like to offer some helpful tips to prevent fraud from happening to you or your family members. If you receive a call from anyone claiming to be law enforcement, looking to obtain personal information, end the conversation and contact your local police service directly. Anyone seeking large transactions of cash within a short time period is deemed to be suspicious. Use caution posting online as fraudsters can gather information from your social media accounts that will make their claims sound legitimate. Don't trust a number just because it's local or familiar, as fraudsters can use technology that will disguise their actual contact. If you receive a suspicious call claiming to be a family member who has been arrested, is in hospital, or any other emergency require, requiring me immediate money transfers, hang up the phone and contact that person or any agents mention, agencies mentioned directly. If you receive any type of unsolicited mail, phone call, email, or text that asks for any type of personal information, do not respond and delete or discard it immediately. And finally, if you are conducting any type of business online or over the phone, make sure you know who you're dealing with. These events have targeted our senior citizens, and we are here today to ensure that we are all vested with information that can best protect that population. Can I take some questions? How many people were uh, impacted uh, in this investigation? So the RNC at this point has received over a dozen reports. Uh, I can say that there have been thousands in loss, and at this time the investigation is ongoing, so we are still looking to determine uh, just how many occurrences have, have gone on. Did you say that he was arrested at the airport? That's correct, yes, the individual. Uh, was he trying to flee the province? At this time, you know, it, it seems to us that the individual was looking to leave the province, yes. You mentioned that uh, in the phone call there were two people involved. Uh, was there a second person charged, uh, or do you expect to be a second person charged? So at this time we have arrested the one individual. Uh, the investigation is ongoing, so we'd be uh, unable to provide any further discussion on that at this time. How are they identifying these uh, victims? Uh, that's a part of the ongoing investigation, you know, and we're looking for more uh, information at this time. You know, we do believe there were more events that have not been reported at this point. So we are asking that uh, if you have information, contact the RNC. If you don't wish to come forward and make a report, you can contact Crime Stoppers and report anonymously so that we have that information available to us. So is this related to a release you guys put out in December at a very similar Type of circumstance that happened in Paradise. Was, uh, at that time, the RNC was looking for information. A uh, 23 year old man identified as Marilyn Cornayor in Paradise. It's, it's exactly the same situation. Okay. Uh, I'm not familiar with that particular. Uh, I actually was not working at that time. 
But uh, what I can tell you is that uh, these fraudsters that we're referring to them as, you know, they're using any techniques whatsoever. You know, they're ruthless and they're desperate, and they're willing to take advantage of our vulnerable population, as we've seen here in this in this uh, event. Does this person have any sort of a criminal record that you're aware of? Uh, so we're not able to discuss any criminal history at this time. Uh, what I can tell you is that that person remains in custody at, as, at this point and will appear in provincial court in connection with these charges. Where in Ontario is he from? Uh, at this time, I, I don't have that information. Um, so, uh, you know, once we learn more about the uh, origin of our suspect, you know, we would share information with uh, police services to ensure that if there were other events that we can learn about those uh, particular incidents. Can you share anything about a potential motive? I mean, the motive here is to gain money in any means necessary uh, to profit at the expense of uh, senior citizens. Do you know when he's appearing in court yet? Is it today? Uh, it's scheduled for today. I mean, the uh, charges are submitted, so uh, if not having already appeared, I would imagine it would be this afternoon. And you mentioned he's charged with uh, fraud over $5,000, I think? That's correct. Um, can you say uh, if it's tens of thousands of dollars that they were stolen? So right now, I wouldn't be able to discuss that. You know, it, it is before the courts, and uh, you know, the investigation being active, we don't want to disclose the, uh, you know, the value at this time. How common is it to see these types of scams? I mean, scams are more common as time passes here. You know, it seems like we have a new form of tactic uh, coming forward on a daily basis. And uh, that's why it's important that once we get this information, we share it and that we all take time to speak to our family members and ensure that they're vested with this information as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's important to have red flags and, and identify when something is suspicious. As we have said here, uh, if you're looking at a scenario where you have somebody looking for a large sum of money in a short period of time, that is deemed to be suspicious and should not be, uh, you know, uh, followed. And how did the person receive the money? So uh, we ha have information that they would look to pick up the money from the uh, person they were calling. So it's not like a gift card scam or anything? This uh, event involved cash. That seems like it would it should put up a red flag. I mean, uh, would your advice be to seniors if someone says they'll come pick up money from you that you should suspect that it's a fraud? Most certainly. You know, these are suspicious events, and uh, you know, anybody looking for money in a short period of time or stating they are police or other legal services, you know, they are not going to come to your house and pick up money. Can you talk about uh, how vulnerable seniors are to things like this? I mean, I think that it goes back to, you know, good nature. You know, uh, individuals are, you know, automatically good natured and when they're seeing an opportunity to help a family member or somebody close to them, uh, they're going to jump at that opportunity to support their family. And here's what we have a scenario where good nature is, is the downfall and, and uh, that's why it's important that we share this information and, and make this education available to everybody in our community. That's RNC Constable James Cadigan outlining the arrests made last evening in connection with this telephone fraud we've been hearing so much about. Someone calling seniors in particular saying, hey, Nan, hey, Pop, I'm in a bit of trouble. You need to send me some money. And it turns out to be a fraudster and uh, people lose their money. In this case, as you just heard James Cadigan say, some people have lost thousands of dollars. The investigation is ongoing. If you have any information that you want to pass along, by all means, contact the RNC. 
see. We'll be back in just a moment. When we come back, we're going to hear from the mayor of Whitburn, Hilda Whalen, and she's not pulling any punches. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. This is the last edition of VOCM's On Target. Uh, We're changing things up a little bit. I'll be taking over a new show now that's going to be starting at 4 o'clock, running till 5 every day, Monday through Friday, starting on Monday, and it'll be called News Talk. And it'll be a lot of the same things you can expect, you you expected to hear here, uh, only moved to the 4 to 5 o'clock hour. We'll be doing some exciting things, including taking some calls from the public. So stay tuned for that. Uh, We'll have more uh, coming up in the next little while. Uh, In the meantime now, um, as you know, the town of Whitburn has uh, taken a few hits when it comes to the operation of its emergency room. Staffing um, challenges there have meant that the ER has remained closed for an extended period of time. Well, I have the mayor of Whitburn, Hill the Whalen joining me now because uh, they've just lost their ambulance service. Mayor Hilda Whalen, what's happening now with the ambulance service in Whitburn area? I'm not sure what is happening. I have talked to the ambulance uh, uh, owner and uh, he says he's not sure, but I think maybe there are some underlying issues that has been here for a while. Remember last year when they were talking about moving in the Whitburn and, you know, they had this big fly-up. I think it's basically, it's between Wade Smith and Eastern Health. It's not impacting us any more than it's uh, the jobs of the the paramedics, but with the paramedic uh, situation now we have in the province, of course, it's not too hard to get a job in uh, doing that job, but uh, no, uh, other than that, we got our ambulances parked at the clinic in Whitburn, and uh, we have two there and one on call. So we are basically our service hasn't changed. So other than that, uh, Wade has lost his job and his license, and uh, his workers have lost their work. I don't know if it's something that's going to be permanent that they can actually work out. I don't know any particulars, and uh, Wade, since he doesn't know of any, but I think they have their issues there somewhere, and that's that's the size of it. Now, people are saying, oh, well, they're doing this for nothing, and I don't see Eastern Health coming in at this time when we are in such a crisis in, in uh, health care and, and uh, short of uh, paramedics and ambulance drivers. Um, I can't see them coming in just taking two away for nothing, put it that way. So uh, where does this leave the the town now? I mean, you're still without your ER. Uh, Any updates on that process or situation? The ER is, I will, I'm I'm constantly talking to administration in Eastern Health, and the last call I got yesterday is that uh, our minister is over in the U.K. uh, doing some... uh, Retention. I told them to go to Australia. It's 50 over there waiting for residency, might you know. But uh, I think next week I'll get a call, early next week, uh, setting up an announcement 
that we have a uh, doctor, nurse practitioner, and a nurse that will be there. I guess for so many hours, probably eight hours, that was the original deal. Uh, for eight hours a day with no emergency, like emergency, he would go on to uh, to Carbonier or St. John's until they can get more doctors and retor- re- return our full 24-hour care. So You must be encouraged by that. Yeah. So, you, you know, there's one of these things you hope and pray for. And that's it. There's nothing you can do. That were money? I'd have it. But uh, it's not money. And it's not only just provincial either. And it's not as simple as the Premier says, just give me a call and come home. Well, those Canadian doctors in in Australia, and I, the, the president of the Association of Doctors who are f- training for, foreignly sh- in foreign countries, she said that they, they go there with, because they have asked her to intercede on their behalf. And she said when she goes to the, them, it's like, we don't have any recipes. Uh, don't bother us. And if they do get to put in an application, it'll be six to eight months for they even hear anything back. So this is not only uh, provincially. And I'm always on the horn and, and writing the the minister and of, uh, of the province and the premier. But now I'm, I'm writing uh, Trudeau in, and our health minister and our members in, in in Ottawa. Look, take a look at this. Because, you know, that's what they had to do with our own provincial physicians and surgeons, remember? They had a restriction there that was causing us problems. And I think it needs to happen up there, too. So I don't know how, how the premier is going to bypass uh, the, the physicians and surgeons in Ottawa and bring them right to Newfoundland. Maybe there is a way to do it. But I think there needs to be a little more working together there. So you mentioned Australia. Any idea why that's a jurisdiction we haven't really tapped into yet? I don't know, and I haven't had an answer back. I've wrote uh, the Premier, and I've mentioned it to I don't know how many, and I have no no idea. But I will get to the bottom of why. Uh, I know that it's a residency. They're not training working doctors. They need a residency. They've completed their education. But then that shouldn't be a problem either. You know, to take take a dozen that way, but so you got to remember, Linda, the government is they're slow on the uptake. Like you take the physicians and surgeons there in 1920, a hundred doctors went. So many they didn't renew by the first of January, probably because the pandemic was on. They lost their license, and sixty something didn't renew their license, and they did not seem to deem it important enough to. You know, to inform your CEO, the CEO inform the minister, hey, go, you might be able to save half of them, right? It's it's the way things are. Like, they're working independently here in Newfoundland. But who knows? Maybe the, the connect for the, some of the foreign doctors, like in Australia, it's happening from Ottawa. Maybe that's something they should be having. We got six members up there. Put them to work to find out what's going on. So how did you become aware of the situation in Australia? Because I keep I, I keep my nose to the grindstone and dug right down to the bottom. What is causing this problem? <laughs> I'm like that. <laughs> Any plans to run provincially? <laughs> no, no. I'm much more dangerous outside. I said that before. You get inside, you get shut up, right? They can't shut me up. Well, Hilda Whalen, I'm glad you didn't shut up today. I really appreciate <laughs> your time this afternoon. Thank you, Linda. And we'll be back right after this um, on this last day of On Target. Stay tuned.
Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. This is the very last on target. I'll be starting a new show, News Talk, Monday to Friday here on VOCM from 4 to 5 p.m. Uh, starting this Monday. So I do hope you're able to join us then. In the meantime, on the theme of canon, I thought I'd share with you one of the most popular on targets I ever hosted. It was with retired major and author Harold Scarup of New Brunswick, who joined us on the show way back on June 9th of 2021. And Dave, you managed to find this in the archives. Thank you so much for this. I have to say, I never received so much feedback from the audience as I did from that particular show. So on the theme of going out with a bang, here is Harold Scarup and part of our conversation on the canon of Newfoundland and Labrador. And how the heck are you? I'm good. How did you get roped into this particular project? Uh, I was an instructor at our tactics school in uh, Base Gagetown, New Brunswick, and uh, we had some issues with the museum, a turnover of staff. My boss sent me over to say, look, uh, check on it. We need to keep this museum working. Um, so I got over there and I uh, did a little bit of uh, an inventory of all the armored vehicles on the base. We have a good number of tanks and armored vehicles that we show people on tours even now. But when I put the catalog together, a bunch of the old gunners over the uh, Royal <laughs> Regiment of Canadian Artillery School told me aside and said, what the heck is the matter with you, man? Don't you know the uh, tin hats, black hats, a uh, few tin cans in the First War, shot to hell in the Second World War, nothing much to tell since. Don't you know right up the road there in the Bay of Chaleur off the coast of New Brunswick, Jacques Carcet, first recorded use of cannon in North America, 1534. Why don't you do a little bit about gunner history? Maybe you learn something, boy. Uh, okay, we'll take that serious and start putting the guns together. Well, of course, the way things work when you start talking to one museum and then you talk to another one, they're saying, well, why don't you do it for us too in Ontario and then now Manitoba and good grief, I wound up covering all of them. Um, having lived in Newfoundland way back in the day, I went to a place called the College of Trades and Technology in St. John's and a few others. Um, I used to walk around Signal Hill and uh, photograph the cannon there and uh, down on the harbor, the 4.7s and so on, and had a great interest in them. The one thing that really got me was there were two great big old 15-centimeter uh, howitzers, big guns, in uh, front of the uh, Pleasantville Legion. I photographed them back then, and a while back I went back to Newfoundland, was visiting place, and noticed there was only one. I talked to an individual that should be well known to you by the name of Nelson Sharon. He's long since passed, but he was restoring these old guns, and he said that somebody in the city noticed that the wheels had rotted off of one of these guns. They're 100 years old. And he had the city drag it off to a landfill, and that gun has disappeared. Many men lost their lives to grab this thing, and there was a great deal of kerfuffle and political hassle to bring this thing to Canada, and it's gone. Just gone. Uh, I thought, that's not right. So they need to be cataloged, they need to be tagged, and people need to know where to go find them. You've got guns there from Queen Anne's time in the early 1700s, King George III. I mean, there are rare guns and there are interesting guns, but they're all over Newfoundland and in the waters off the coast from sunken shipwrecks. I couldn't think of a more fascinating subject to talk about. <laughs> well, it is interesting. How many cannon were you able to catalog here in Newfoundland and Labrador? Oh, ouch, a few, uh, several hundred. And then, of course, uh, a couple of the uh, scuba divers, Neil Burgess in particular, with the uh, 
of the Shipwreck Preservation Society said, how come you've listed all the ones on the ground and you didn't mention the ones in the shipwrecks off the coast? Thought, Holy smokes. A, most people aren't going to be able to get to see them, although as a scuba diver, I do appreciate that you want to. And so there are many that, A, are counted but not necessarily visible and not found, but we know they're there because the ship went down with a dozen guns or so. So the exact number, let's say several hundred for Newfoundland alone, several thousand for Canada. Here's the awkward part for the rest of Canada. For example, in 1919, they brought back 532 German World War I cannon and several hundred trench mortars and uh, a lot of machine guns. And uh, Newfoundland was allocated a certain number as well from the British because, of course, it wasn't part of Canada at the time. The British gave it to them. In 1942, the Canadian government came back and said, we need the scrap iron to fight the Germans again. If your cannon isn't part of a war memorial or in a museum, send it back. We need the scrap metal. And I counted for more than 300 that were definitely cut down and scrapped. And here in New Brunswick, for example, but not in Newfoundland, the city of St. John said, that's not good enough. We've got cannon from Queen Anne and St. George's, uh, King George's time, and we're going to give you those to be cut up, too. And for my province, most of them were also cut up from that time. So when you find a few remaining, uh, they're a lot more rare than you think. Now, what's interesting is Newfoundland had a pretty solid catalog of the things that they collected and saved. And I would say that 90% of the guns that were allocated in Newfoundland, and there's more from the, second, from the First World War specifically, they've survived. Uh, cities like Grand Falls and um, Pleasantville and the rest of them, they have actually still got their cannon. Fairly rare, but you've kept them when many other provinces have not for a variety of reasons. Now, one of the things that on the catalog, there was a Whippet tank, one of which exists in Camp Borden in Ontario. Uh, only one or two that exist down in the U.S. Apparently, Newfoundland got one, too, and I've yet to find out what happened to it. More interestingly, it had, you had a German Zeppelin parts, uh, parts of a great big uh, dirigible, one of the balloons. Um, those parts went into storage, and nobody seems to know what happened to them. But I'm convinced that because of the number, the high percentage of the cannon that came to Newfoundland uh, in the after the First World War were preserved, maybe those are still out there. And that's where I need your, your listeners to be uh, the spies and sleuths. Find and save our history. It's uh, to me, it's really important. There are a number in private hands. Uh, Carboneer has. Um, three-pounder naval guns, and of course, Signal Hill. Um, there are more modern guns, like uh, 105-millimeter and six-pounder. Uh, the 105-pack howitzer was used up until uh, the 1970s. Grand Falls and St. John have 25-pounders, which were the mainstay of the Second World War. And there are French cannon that go back uh, before Confederation uh, that are sitting in Fairyland. going out with a bang on on target thanks for listening everyone it's been great i've enjoyed every moment of this show i hope you've enjoyed listening but stay tuned now starting monday with a new show news talk starting at four o'clock here on vocm i hope you were able to join us there thanks so much everyone and have a great weekend